We would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is produced, the Wajak Noongar people, and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. So it looks like we've made it to the end of the year, Courtney. It's surprising, but yeah. we have. We've yeah. we finally made it to the end. Our yeah. second Christmas episode, which yeah. is exciting. Yeah, we have quite a high rate of Christmas episodes considering how long the podcast has been going for. That's right, yeah. yeah. More than one a year. Actually. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah. If you put it if you put a rate on it. Yep. <laughs> um yeah. Oh, so, funny. so yeah, interesting. Uh as usual. You know, the, some of the journals publish Christmas issues with wild and wacky studies that they've come up with. Yeah, and I think uh, last year it went pretty well. At least, um, mm. you know, I had fun and yeah. know, I think that's all that matters. So I think it's good. I think we've got one from the MJA and one from the BMJ this year. Yeah, so yeah. We'll sort of uh, hopefully get the perspective of um, the more optimistic MJA, considering how well Australia's done and, mm-hmm. and then counter that with the... The pessimism BMJ. of the yeah. <laughs> considering how poorly the UK's done this year. Yep, <clears throat> yep, definitely, in terms of COVID. Yeah, COVID and, and um, everything that comes with everything, that. Everything, yeah, else. Oh, well. Not saying that they are generally pessimistic. No. We don't know that. <laughs> no, I mean, there is that thing about whinging poms, but... That's true, I, but I also like, Australians, like, oh. Yeah, I think, I feel like I've got a foot in both camps because I was born in the UK. Ah, oh, okay, so uh, you're allowed to say things like that. Yeah. Yeah, fair and, enough. And my wife's from Scotland, so... Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. I've got to be careful. Yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> so, yeah, I think, yeah, today we're going to talk about a couple of these Christmassy uh, articles that we found and enjoyed, and then um, we're probably just going to have a review of yeah, the, year the year for us. Yeah, the year and what's happened and some of the guests we've had on. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah hopefully it'll be fun. be pretty relaced. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it has been a busy year and... You know, oh, we've obviously had so quite a few busy. guests on the podcast, and we've been very fortunate that people have been forthcoming with their time and happy to talk. So yeah, I counted yeah. the number of episodes we did this year, and that's twenty-four. So I think we had like twenty-two guests <laughs> this year, yeah. all giving up their time to have a mm. chat with us, which was really cool. Um, met some really awesome people, which was yeah. great. Yeah. That's wonderful. Excellent. Yeah. Well, do you want to kick things off with the Christmas? issue study that you looked at yeah i i will so mine is from the bmj um and uh craig you sent these to me in an email and i looked at a bunch of them so there's lots of different um christmas articles that you can have a read and by christmas article they're like silly or fun ideas that don't necessarily have to be related to christmas but this one this one stood out to me and uh, this one stood out to me because I have a love of Roald Dahl. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was one of my favourite child uh, authors. Yep. And the title of this one is A Toxicology- Toxicological Analysis of Georgia's Marvelous Medicine, a Literature Review by Graham Johnson and Patrick Davies. And mm. I remember reading this book as a kid and I loved it. I wanted to make this medicine myself and feed it to everyone I know so they grew really, really large. Like, uh, yeah, absolute love of it. And I remember as a child 
wondering whether it would actually work. Mm -hmm. And what these two authors have done is try to figure out what would actually happen if you gave George's marvellous medicine to uh, someone, uh, for example, a, a grandma. Okay. And they've gone through and looked at all of the different ingredients, looked at the different side effects and tried to figure out what would happen to someone. And I love that. I think that's amazing. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's essentially what they did. And kind of the, the introduction and the idea behind it is that lots of people have read this book. So, this book was published in 1981 so very old book now um still mm. going strong i think a lot of people have read it have you read it uh yeah i think when i was a kid i read it yeah and i'll just pull you up on you said 1981 so it's a really old book let's just be <laughs> put that in perspective yeah some of us were born before that um, really old book for me <laughs> yeah in context it's an old book but wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't be an old person if it was 1981. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, might still be an old person, but yeah, uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I it do. It was older than I expected. I yeah. think that's more it. Because I, I think he was also responsible for the BFG yes. and James and the Giant Peach. Yes. So he likes things about big stuff happening. <laughs> yeah. True. Yeah. He does. Yeah. But yeah, really much loved and a bit controversial. He's a bit, these, yeah. these days. It's, That's it's, right. Certain he, yeah. parts of his character have been called into question. But yeah. So, like, I, I don't know about the author himself. I, yeah. I will have no opinion <laughs> on that. But I love his books. Yeah. So, and I, I read yeah. his books religiously when I was younger. Yeah. And I think it was Quentin Blake that used to illustrate them. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. And, yeah, so good. So good. Yeah. yeah. No, I've read most of Roldar's books. Um, yeah. I think there is an importance also to separate the art, like I would say the art from the artist, I think, yeah. you know, you can appreciate the the product That's right. without appreciating the person. Look, a lot of, a lot <laughs> of, yeah, a lot of artists are kind of eccentric and whether yeah. it's writers or painters or musicians or whatever. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think you do have to separate the art from the artist a lot of the time. Yeah, totally. cancel culture that seems to be happening a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah. yes, 2020 See? cancel culture. <laughs> not, not old. I'm down with the kids. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so you're, anyway, you're lit and... I'm, I know the lingo. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I should probably stop using the word lingo. <laughs> yes, that's also old. Yeah, um, yeah so anyway, uh, they kind of start off with describing the number of people that have like bought this book and all this kind of stuff. And um, also the fact that this book now has warnings on it. Mm -hmm. um, so originally... This book had a contents page that said four doctors everywhere, which, you know, can be considered pretty controversial because mm. it is a book about at-home medicines and, you know, where, like, that can lead. Um, yeah. And now it says, warning to readers, do not try to make George's Marvelous Medicine yourselves at home. Okay. And the idea of this article was to really put that into question because there was no evidence to suggest that you shouldn't make this at home. No one had ever reported on it. So they decided to see whether that was a justified statement or not. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the, like the second rationale behind it is that um, unintentional poisoning uh, was a leading cause of accidental death in children. Mm -hmm. So the idea behind this book, they've created their own concoction of whatever, feeding it to someone. It could lead to accidental poisoning. So there was kind of like two reasons for this okay. uh, this article, um, which was pretty entertaining to read. 
So it's got great public health importance. It does, yeah. yeah. And like, you know, accidental poisoning for children, um, they say here more than 28,000 children receiving treatment for poisoning in the UK each year and 3,000 children dying across the EU annually. So quite a large uh, uh, proportion of uh, premature deaths, I mm -hmm. guess, something that we can prevent and maybe something that this book is uh, per perpetrate. No, not perpetrating. Uh, what's the word? Um, Starts with P. Perpetuating. Perpetuating. That's yeah. it. <laughs> See? Yeah. Well, being old has some advantages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that was kind of their rationale. And then what they did was they got a couple of independent readers um, and they called them their three independent teams of young readers with no communication between the groups. So they've all read the book. I'm pretty sure it's their children. Um, and then together they figured out what these ingredients were, how much was put into George's Marvelous Medicine. Uh, and then uh, they then looked up those different ingredients on a um, toxicology database. Yep. And that toxicology database was the the uk version uh which is called toxbase and is only available for health professionals so you know i can't access it i tried i did google it and see if i could like have a look and mm -hmm. find that out um and australia does have something similar but i couldn't figure out what the name of it was okay. um so we definitely have a toxicology database as well um because, you know, all spiders and snakes and yep. all those kinds of things. Different um, types of toxins. That's right, yeah. yes. And not quite the same ones they talk about in this article. Yep. Um, yeah, so then they looked it up in this um, this database to figure out side effects and, and all that kind of stuff. And essentially, they, they have a wonderful table that's got all the different side effects for each ingredient that is in this yep. so-called medicine. Um, yeah, so overall, in George's Marvelous Medicine, there's 35 different ingredients that he puts in. I didn't realise this when I was reading it, um, but he does go around to, like, each room of the house and find everything he possibly can reach and puts it into this pot. And there's 35 different things, no, 34 different things that he puts in. Uh, and what these authors found was that the most common symptoms or side effects of all of the ingredients that George put in his uh, marvellous medicine was uh, vomiting and nausea. Okay. Followed by depression of the nervous system. So that what that means is decreased uh, breathing rates, decreased heart rate, loss of consciousness, um, potentially comas and then death because everything stops. Uh, then uh, diarrhoea, cardiac involvement, foaming or hypersalivation, then uh, gastrointestinal tract ulceration and hematemesis. Okay. <laughs> Don't know how to he pronounce that. Okay. I think so that's something to do with bleeding. It'll be something to do with bleeding. I'm yeah, sure. yeah, yes. So, yeah, ulceration, ulceration and bleeding. And yeah. then also lung injury and seizures. Okay. That's not marvellous. No. It's the opposite. It, it is opposite. It's not marvellous at all. Um, uh, they also do mention that 15% uh, of the ingredients was food, um, including things that are spicy, which could also 
influence the symptoms that you that get. That could aggravate the ulceration. That's right. Definitely. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, and I know. And the crazy. diarrhea as yeah. well. I don't know how this grandma survived. Yikes. Um, and then also felt great afterwards. Yeah. Uh, but that is what they essentially discuss in this um, article. Okay. Uh, anyway, their conclusion was that treatments for this multivariate poisoning were complex and would require immediate high-level care. Because basic, if you, like, consume these combination of 35 ingredients, you're probably going to get at least one of these side effects or symptoms, um, all of which sound terrible mm -hmm. uh, and, yeah, not very nice at all. So no. that was their overall conclusion. Mm. Um, but there was something that I thought was very entertaining, and that is that Roald Dahl describes what the grandma goes through mm -hmm. when she takes this medicine. And at the start, the grandma, I'm going to quote it here. It says, grandma initially shot up, whoosh into the air. And then she landed. Then when she landed, she shouted suddenly, my stomach's on fire. And apparently that's probably what would happen if you actually okay. uh, ingested all of these different ingredients because mm. of the spice and um, all of the other kind of ingredients, the vomiting and things like that. You're yep. probably going to have a tummy ache and then it's, you're going to feel like you're on fire. Okay. So turns out Roldal was actually kind of accurate as to yeah. what would happen at the start. Um, and then... You would then grandma also began to swell and then developed a puncture and started deflating in the book. Okay. And apparently that's also something that might happen. Not necessarily the puncture, because that would probably get someone else to Maybe stab you. The ulceration and the bleeding could be yeah. a could be a type of puncture. That's true. That, yeah. The very true, yes. Yeah. So there's there's that. And then also there's the the foaming and the hypersalivation. So that would yeah. create bubbles and then you'd probably like bloat a bit. Um particularly also eating all that food, you probably yeah. will bloat. So again, Roldal was not too far off, but after that it kind of just goes a bit into magical land with you know, increasing body size and all that kind okay. of stuff. Um so Overall, I feel like this article very accurately describes what this marvellous medicine would do. Mm. Um, and a lot of work was put into this article. So, yeah, very enjoyable to read. And yeah. I feel like I learned a lot. <laughs> a major scientific contribution. Uh, yeah, I agree. You know, literature. It's, yeah. yeah, it's pointing out that maybe kids yeah. shouldn't be making this medicine. Um, and I know, yeah, as a kid, I was very curious and I wanted to do it myself. And I think I even had a go trying to find the things. But because it is like UK um, medicines and also I don't own sheep or horses or live on a farm, yep. um, I couldn't really find a lot of those ingredients. Okay. So. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, it was good. Um, and I was looking into, because this is like based in the UK, I was kind of looking into the Australian rates of um, accidental poisoning and things like that. And the AHW released a report in 2013 that said the premature death rate due to accidental poisoning has been increasing or increased by 258% since 1982. Right, okay. Right. And this book was published in 1981. Ah, okay. Now, their idea was that that was probably due to increased use of uh, illicit drugs and things like that. Right. 
But I'm wondering... You've done an ecological study here, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. There, there, there could be some correlation here. I'm not yeah. saying that Roald Dahl has ca- caused the death of many children because of this book. Yeah. I'm just saying there might be might be some implication there. Interesting. Yeah. Very observant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd never thought about that. No, I didn't think about that either, and I don't think the AHW have thought about it either. No. Might mm. be worth a letter to the editor. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, excellent. Did you have anything, any final comments on that groundbreaking study? Yeah, I, I think that's about it for this particular study. I do want to, to congratulate the authors on a, a great yeah. paper. It was so, very entertaining. It sort of changes what you what you mean by literature review, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. it does, yeah, because they did only review one book, but that's really all that and they needed to do. clearly literature. Yeah, so exactly. Just a different type. That's right. And um, I also want to point out that they wrote this article another two times mm-hmm. depending on the audience so okay. this is one of the few articles that actually has a version for young teenagers and also older teenagers right. that um they can read so this particular one that i was reading was for the undergraduate level mm-hmm. um so people like well i guess myself and and others in research and then they also had versions for kids so they can learn the importance of um Not what happens poisoning. when you mix things together yeah, and don't potential yourself. side effects yeah yeah okay yeah so they're doing a bit of translation as that's right as yeah. well as publishing exactly that's- Ticking all the boxes there. It is. It was so yeah. good. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, f- from that kind of sque- slightly squeamish note, um, <laughs> let's go to something a bit more sanitised. Yeah, um, sounds good. Which is an article by Mattiusi and Company, uh, which appeared in the M- uh, Medical Journal of Australia Christmas edition. I think it came second in, in their Christmas competition this uh, year. Okay, so an important one then. Yeah, so really quite highly regarded. Yeah. Um, so the article's entitled What the Forks? A longitudinal quality improvement study tracking cutlery numbers in a public teaching and research hospital staff tea room. Ah. Now, I think this is a really burning topic um, and people at our institution would probably agree because uh, we have a, a real issue with cutlery going missing. We do. From now, our tea room. before we get into the article, what do you think is the most common uh utensil to go missing in in our area i'm going to dodge that question because i've read the article <laughs> yeah okay so I, I would ask I, you mm, well i normally bring my own cutlery and yep. from home mm-hmm. we end up missing a lot of teaspoons okay that's the one that goes missing a lot for us but i feel like it is forks here at okay. the population global health so that's interesting yeah um yeah i actually I, I would agree with you based on what we see at the mm. school here. Uh, forks are often in short supply and you can always get a knife. Yeah. So, you know, if yeah. you, you want to, yeah. Mm, that's interesting. I don't know whether yeah. knives should be readily available. <laughs> no, not in the current climate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, so it's, I mean, obviously I have eaten my lunch with two knives a couple of times where yep. the fork wasn't present, but, yep. you know. Yeah, um, no, I, I will admit that um, I've, like, brought the the yoghurt pots and I haven't found any form of spoons and I've eaten yeah. a, using a knife a with knife, that. Yeah. yeah, you know, whatever works. Yeah, <laughs> maybe better than your fingers. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's park your observations there right. uh, about the potential effect that the setting, you know, where the cutlery is could play a part, a mm. home or, or tea room at work. Um, but basically, this study was conducted 
um, looking, he wanted to investigate the lifespan of forks and teaspoons in an institutional tea room. And they did this in a, a teaching and research hospital, so a public hospital in Brisbane. So comparable to Perth in mm. a lot of ways, Brisbane as yeah. a city and whatnot. So could be generalisable to, to here. Could be. We'll um, have to test one, it. One of our hospitals, maybe Royal Perth or mm -hmm. Charlie's. Oh, yeah. Is this is this a public or a private hospital? So it's a public hospital. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, Royal Perth would be the one Royal to Perth. test it out. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Fiona Stanley would mm. fit into that category as well. I think so, yeah. Yeah, but much bigger. So, yes. you know, we'd have to see what sort of size of hospital this was to see mm. if we could generalise the results <laughs> to Fiona Stanley. Yep. Uh, anyway, so... The participants were un were, were blinded, so they were unknowingly participating in the study. Oh, okay. So they didn't know Interesting, yeah. that the study was going on. And so what happened was uh, 18 forks and 18 teaspoons marked with red dots um, using OPI got the blues for red nail lacquer. Okay. So I don't know if you know, is that a type of colour of nail lacquer? It's, yeah, it's a nail polish of some yeah, sort. Yeah, OPI. Some I don't really know. Oh, OPI is a brand. Okay. Yeah. All right. I thought yeah. it might have been a really interesting acronym, but it's not. No, no. Okay. Nail polish colours, uh, their names tend to be like sunshine sparkle or okay. like yeah. unicorn hair or something yeah. like that. They're their normal like nail polish N Not names. missing fork or... No, or fork but that would be or, a good colour, I yeah. feel. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, so these these marked spoons and forks were introduced into the existing cutlery pool. So there was cutlery there already. Mm -hmm. These were just added in. And the marks were done surreptitiously, so you couldn't really see that you had a marked teaspoon or a marked fork. Mm -hmm. um, so they measured the numbers of these marked uh, spoons and forks twice weekly over seven weeks. And they did that on a Tuesday afternoon and a Friday afternoon each week. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so okay. very systematic. Yeah, sounds good. Um, plenty of data collected. Interesting. <laughs> uh, and then the number of unmarked knives, forks and teaspoons were also measured at just once at baseline and then once at study completion, so before and after. Um, and they planned on doing a Kaplan-Meier analysis of all-cause survival censored ah. at 45 days. But they couldn't do that due to the uh, rebirth and resurrection, in inverted commas, ah. of some utensils during the study. So, essentially, your death outcome didn't equal death because it right. came back from the dead. Yeah, okay. So, one would go missing and then it would come back. That's it. Yeah, interesting. So, yeah, so, so you need like a repeated event Kaplan-Meier, which you can do, but uh, complicated. Yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, I think that's um, an Anderson Gill. Yeah. Uh, Kaplan-Meier. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, so death was not did not equal a final failure, if yeah. you, a failure event. So, um, and ethics approval was waived, um, which is unusual. Yeah. Ethics committees don't usually waive. Particularly because there were people involved. Yeah, there were people. Mm. So couple of comments that I sort of noted from the Ethics Committee um, commenting when they provided their waiver. So they said that the, that the study is adopting benthamic utilitarianism as an outcome seeking the greatest good for the greatest number. So they're talking about Jeremy Bentham there, who was a great sort of criminologist and philosopher and whatnot, um, amongst other things. So, he, he, yeah, utilitarianism is, is all about the greatest good for the greatest number. So some people are going to suffer mm -hmm. but overall everyone's 
going to be better off as a society. So they thought, you know, this study is going to produce something really good for everyone, you know, preserving people's cutlery mm-hmm. in, in a communal tea room. Uh, and as the benefits would appear to outweigh, outweigh the risks, and as the study is being conducted in accordance with values in action, <laughs> which is some sort of policy, yeah. um, this study is approved for a quality improvement exercise and therefore exempt from full ethics review. Ah, very good. So, All right. There you go. That's pretty novel. Yeah. Very um, interesting. And kind of fitting in, in time for Christmas, you know, mm-hmm. the, the pe- giving um, the gift of giving, research. Yeah, it's a time for giving, you know. <laughs> that's right. Come for sharing. And uh, so th- now to the results. Uh, so consistent with what you've seen at home, Courtney, six mm. mark teaspoons were missing during the period. Right. Compared to one marked fork. So that is teaspoons. far less than yeah. I would expect. Yeah, out of the eighteen, so six out of eighteen versus one out of eighteen. Right. Um, so some some other stuff that was quite interesting, and that was a statistically significant mm. when they tested using chi square. Uh, for all utensils marked and unmarked, two point two per hundred days were lost for teaspoons and spoons, but minus two point two were lost for forks and knives, indicating that the number of forks and knives increased from day one to day forty-five or whatever it was. <laughs> So people were adding their own forks. So I, my hypothesis is that there were some forks and knives missing already that then got, after the baseline ah. measure, got added back in. Mm-hmm. So forks and knives, interesting. Yeah. Um, and interesting when they looked at week-by-week week analysis, marked forks dropped, you know, quite drastically by week two but re- recovered at week three. And so they suggest that that could be down to one-off celebratory events or morning teas and that forks might be used more for eating cakes that might appear at these events. That's true. And then get returned, Mm -hmm. you know, after a period of a few days or whatever between Mm. measurements. Um, So one of the things that they took out of it was that they said that the increase in unmarked fork, teaspoon and knife numbers may indicate an attractive effect on unmarked utensils when introducing marked ones. <laughs> so some kind of magnet or, ah, okay, you know, yeah, interesting. Um, so that would need more investigating. Yeah, as soon as like a fork is marked with some nail polish, all the other forks are like, hell oh, yeah, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> Especially the OPI. Mm, I've got the mm-hmm. blues for red yeah, nail polish. Yeah. There could be something in that. Interesting. I don't mind a, a red nail polish. I yeah. think it looks good. Yeah. Well, um, red, red is considered an attractive colour. Yeah. So Red's my favourite colour. Yeah, so that's it. There you go. Maybe, yeah. I bought the fork. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so some limitations. So there was no continuous observation of time and motion. So that what they suggest to get around this in future studies is that high-quality Wi-Fi and tracking technology could be used to more, more specifically map cutlery location and mm-hmm. radio frequency chips could be yeah. utilised within each piece. Makes sense, yep. Um, but, yeah, they sort of sign off by saying that um, if you're doing a secret Santa at work this Christmas, that you might want to give teaspoons and not forks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so a bit of sage advice there for yeah. any secret Santa events happening you know, in the office. Yeah, get those teaspoons. Yeah. 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 So that could be caught, you know, take what you will from that study. <laughs> Se- second place in, in a uh, 
Christmas issues. Yeah, so. they've, they've been very um, methodological there. Yeah. So it sounds like uh, it's all the rigour that you need in research. Very much so. Yeah. And, and addressing a real-world problem. That's right. You know, yeah, something that we've important. experienced ourselves. Yeah, and I think everyone's sure. experienced the frustration of going to a yeah. cutlery drawer and having nothing there that yeah. you can use so yeah, eating a pot important. of yogurt with a knife yeah you know? exactly yeah. Like you just don't want to do that unintended <laughs> injuries and that sort <laughs> yeah. of stuff you know it's just too risky <laughs> so yeah great yeah so these are just two articles of all the kind of silly ones you can get around yeah. christmas there's yeah there's a whole whole we'll, um journal we'll really. certainly put a couple of links in for people who are interested in seeing some of the others yeah they're pretty entertaining at least they're kind of entertaining in the lame kind of way. I was talking to someone uh, before that we were going to record this episode and they're like, oh, that's so lame. I'm like, no, it's not. It's great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, yeah, interesting. But, yeah, what I thought we might do now is just have a bit of a chat reflecting on the year we've had both in the podcast and yeah. also on world events that have been shaping the way we live and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, starting off with the podcast and some of the guests. So it's, it's actually, I sort of lost track of time a little bit this year and didn't realise that some of the people that we'd interviewed this year actually happened this year because our year seemed to kind of change mm-hmm. so drastically mm-hmm. early on in the year, like around March. Um, but I harp back to the time we went to Royal Perth Emergency Department. Oh, that was so cool. Dr. David McCutcheon. And that was a really interesting conversation. Yeah, and he gave us like a little tour around the emergency department as well, which was really cool. And we bumped into somebody there, didn't we? Yeah, we bumped into my brother. Yeah, was at work. (laughs) And he was very surprised. (laughs) He was kind of just like, Courtney, what are you doing here? Like, why are you here? You shouldn't be here. (laughs) I'm like, oh, oh well. That's it. (laughs) But it was interesting because when we had the chat with Dave, it was... So we knew about coronavirus and we, we knew it was happening, but it hadn't really hit us here in in Australia and Western Australia yet. And Dave sort of gave us a tour of the Ebola unit that they used yeah. to isolate people. And we were sort of talking about it hypothetically and he was sort of saying how they had to get dressed up in these sort of hazmat suits and, you know, everything was airlocked and sealed. Mm-hmm. And, and we're you know, thinking, wow, that must have been a crazy time yeah. not, not to know that. You know, it was just about to happen. Yeah, the pandemic was about to happen. Yeah. Um, albeit fairly mildly for WA. Yeah, but, absolutely. Yeah. But. So really interesting uh, to look back on that conversation and, and sort of with that in mind now. Definitely. And, yeah, I mean, they definitely would have used it as well, um, mm. I'd say, for a number of the patients. And it's actually not a very nice room. Um, so I do feel for people who'd go in there. But the mm. fact that... Like, I think this is one of the other things that kind of makes us a little bit um, ahead of the curve is that we implemented that tech and mm-hmm. those rooms yep. when it became evident that we needed it. So, mm-hmm. a while ago, and now we have that available for yep. the next That's right. epidemics and things. And, and I think Charlie's has actually been set up as the kind of infectious disease prevention type yeah. hospital uh, more so. So... They would only use Royal Perth in a, you know, in a serious kind. pinch. But yeah, interesting to see just to see one. And yeah, see it definitely. existing. Yeah, and then from there we, I think we soon, well, either just before or just after that, we had our first chat with the Hundred Families Project. It might have been just before that, actually, a week before. Mm. 
uh, which was a really interesting project. We actually spoke to them twice. We did, and yeah. And very innovative, uh, ongoing research project that's happening in real time and, um, you know, looking at, uh, at 100 of the, the most underprivileged or mm. kind of struggling families in WA and interviewing them about their experiences and doing surveys with them. Um, and there were some unintended consequences in that a lot of people involved with the project seemed to get a lot out of it, even though it wasn't an intervention as such. It was yeah. purely just measuring what's going on with and them. It's, yeah, it's such an interesting project. And um, I think it's such a privilege for us to be able to interview people who are a part of it. Because um, I, I guess like I haven't heard of any other research that's similar to this, uh, even outside of Australia. I'm sure there is. Yeah. Um, but it puts a collective idea of what's actually happening in our population and that's so important yeah and those are voices that often aren't heard yeah they're overlooked they often don't have the means to be heard um and so it's great that there's a project going out there and giving them that that opportunity and that voice definitely that's, to me that's what public health research is all about yeah and uh, no no one left behind that's right <laughs> um and then you know once covid happened we started doing a few zoom podcasts ah zoom which was a lot of fun uh, for, for one or two and then it sure. kind of the novelty wore off <laughs> yeah uh but yeah one of our first guests through that method was barbara natabi here at the school dr barbara natabi mm -hmm. uh who does a bit of lecturing into the medical school and is an infectious diseases doctor um yeah. originally from africa from uganda and has had a lot of uh, experience dealing with hiv and bloodborne viruses and so it was really interesting. And like she said right at the start, I'm no, no expert in COVID-19. And anyone who tells you there is, they are, they are is, is lying because yeah. it's too new for anyone to be an expert in it. Um, there's probably people who are a little more expert in it now that yeah. we've had a bit more time. That was, you know, probably seven or eight months ago that we Yeah, I, but I believe the definition of being an expert in something is full-time 10 years worth of work okay. plus extra. So you've right. got to spend some time in like your, your yeah. spare time yep. as well. So literally no one can be an expert in, in yep. COVID. We, um, yeah, we have limited knowledge on, on exactly. COVID. And, yeah, and we're and, still learning and it's mutating as well. Yeah. So, you know, there's so much to learn. Different strains all the time and mm. yeah, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, that was an interesting chat to hear Barbara's take on, on COVID. Mm. Um, we had a good chat with a guy called Doug McFarlane. Uh, and who's doing a really interesting PhD on the psychology of misinformation and how people grab onto fake news or fake claims. So fascinating. Yeah, and how yeah. those those little nuggets of mistruth grow into mm. kind of tall stories that people use, like, you know, if you leave something out in the sun, it will kill COVID, you yeah, know, all this sort of stuff. Yeah, if yeah. you inject bleach into yourself. Um, yeah. yeah uh, I think it's also important with the whole um u.s election that's kind of happened as well mm. um lots of misinformation going on there um particularly from from, yeah, from the top man from the top man himself <laughs> uh and i guess one of the observations that i've seen and again my view is probably biased i you know i haven't read everything that's um been said about that election but the more that um, uh, President Trump has said recently, I see more people backing off and kind of going, oh, maybe not. He's not the best person because he is saying a lot of stuff that maybe doesn't have the information to back it up. Yeah. 
So I think that's been really positive um, in that people have kind of stopped believing that in that yeah. aspect. But they're still, yeah, they're questioning. And I think that's so important. And I, I, um, You know what I think mm. the issue is, is that it's not the people who critically kind of take comments that they hear and think about whether they've got any merit or not mm. or whether they might be questionable. It's the ones who, who don't do that. That's, yeah. the, that's where you have the problem. Yeah. Uh, and it's very difficult to convince somebody that their view on something's incorrect once they oh, adopt yeah. that view. Yeah, definitely. Um, particularly if they don't want to hear it, like if they're not <laughs> interested. They, yeah, they're sort of following the person, not the facts. Mm, mm-hmm. um, and you see, seem to see that a lot, particularly in America at the moment and, and in the UK. And, yeah, um, I mean, everywhere. Some element of that here. But, yeah, it's interesting. Um, and it's also interesting that, that America had has one of the most um, qualified infectious disease experts in the world, in, mm. um, Dr. Anthony Fauci, and that he was Who I largely... totally fangirled over, by the way. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, yeah. So he's, he was responsible for addressing the HIV um, sort of epidemic when it, when it first happened in L.A., uh, I think it was back in the 80s it started mm. happening. They were getting reports of all these symptoms and they didn't know what was causing it. And he was one of the pioneers in, in addressing HIV and, and helping get to where we are now, where it can be treated, not cured, but yeah. it can be treated so that people don't die from that condition. Um, and he, he was, you know, he was relied upon to make a lot of observations and comments and whatever, but then completely contradicted, you know, by the government and yeah. by the president. Um, and I'm sure he's breathing a sigh of relief that, he, that his boss is about to change. <laughs> I'm sure he is, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's funny how we go through, you know, different periods of time and we have the experience of s- the benefit of seeing things that have happened in the past mm. and yet, you know, some of the older societies still are still experiencing the same outcomes from yeah. as they did from the Spanish flu in Europe. And, Which is you know, crazy. Yeah, it's yeah. really interesting. Obviously, politics gets in the way and Definitely. it's so long in the past that people can't remember it and so it doesn't apply to them and it's out of their sort of, um, I guess, their what they can refer to. Mm. It's out of their, mm-hmm. their period of reference mm-hmm. so they don't really know. Yeah, they can't yeah. really relate to it. Absolutely. Um, and on that and also with, like, misinformation, um, I guess personally one of the things I've done this year is download TikTok. Um, lots of misinformation on there. Okay. But it's it's very entertaining watching them being called out by others who kind of know. And one of the biggest things is the use of masks. Because, okay. in, yeah, in the US there's a, a large portion of people who don't believe that masks work. Um, and there's so many TikToks about that. And it's like, oh, it's not going to work, you know. Right. You can still blow out a candle, so therefore <laughs> um, all of your germs will still get out, all this kind of stuff. Um, Tick- fascinating. Yeah. TikTok's a bit like, what is it? It's, what, it's an app or something? It is an app. So uh, it, it's essentially, it's similar to Vine if you remember Vine, but it's it's short videos um, okay. that are meant to be entertaining or... So it's a kind of like a, a version of YouTube that's more simplified or something that we're... Yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of, yeah. Okay. It's, it's basically small videos. Um, yeah, and okay. Yeah, you can just scroll through it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. A bit like Instagram yeah. where they have the videos pop yeah, up. It's, yeah. yeah, it's just another form of social media. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, interesting. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, that's, that's a whole issue that um, will get written about and spoken about for years to come, I'm mm, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had a great chat with Hannah Pierce, uh, who is the WA president of the WA uh, Public Health Association. 
and works at the Cancer Council and mm. is an expert in alcohol marketing and, and regulation. And we had a good chat about how companies were using COVID as a, and the restrictions, you know, the mm. lockdowns and whatnot as an opportunity to market to people, yeah. you know, to nuance their marketing <sighs> messages. It's just so crazy. So to have a few drinks to deal with the isolation. Yeah. And, you know, here's a no. special deal for your iso- isolation. Not okay. <laughs> uh, so they did a great study just, I think on social media, on mm. Facebook, looking at all the impressions that came up on somebody's feed over an hour yep. at different times. And, you know, we're talking about hundreds of, of alcohol adverts from different alcohol producers and providers. Yeah, which is, yeah, it's just crazy in itself. Um, yeah. You know, I guess they're just taking advantage of a of a bad situation, like I'm sure a lot of us have done, but mm. there's so many other implications on that. Yeah, and it's... I guess the damage is not done to people once again who think critically about things and yeah. take, you know, advertising with a pinch of salt. It's to those people that maybe are a bit more impressionable. Yeah. And potentially might fall into the high risk category with respect to health anyway, maybe from lower socioeconomic backgrounds and yeah. whatnot. They see a good deal on a six pack of beer or mm. a bottle of whiskey or wine or whatever and, you know, the one That's thing leads it. to another. Yeah. Um but yeah, it's it's interesting. What it did highlight our chat with that with Hannah was that there really is not a lot of regulation on how um, alcohols marketed outside of the television space. Mm, so mm-hmm. t- TV is pretty tightly regulated, uh, apart from sporting events where there are exemptions. Um, but outside of that space, like billboards and social media and you know you whatnot, can basically do whatever you want. Yeah, you know, and the go- there is a lot of pressure being put on the government to remove advertising from government sites, yep. you know, um, Transperth buses and Which that sort of thing. Which makes sense because, yeah. yeah, the government is meant to support the population as yeah. a whole and reflect what we want they're our as chief, our values. Yeah, they're our chief public health agency yeah. essentially. Um, but, yeah, so really interesting. If you haven't heard that episode, it's definitely worth a mm-hmm. listen and Hannah mm-hmm. was a great guest. Um, and then on a slightly related note, we <laughs> uh, our first post-lockdown interview was with Mike Christmas from Next Step Drug yeah, and Alcohol Service. Yeah, we got to service. see him in person. And yeah. It was great. <laughs> yep. So Mike is somebody that I've known for a, a number of years. Uh, he t- actually was my, one of my tennis coaches when I was mm. a youngster. Uh, and he moved into – we had a good chat with him about he moved into medicine and, and whatnot because he wanted to work with people in need a lot more and address mm. needs of people who maybe didn't are not as privileged and you know some of the areas he was working in before involved working with people who are privileged a lot of the time and um, we had a great chat about various t- types of drug use and the different ways you can treat you know dependence on them and philosophies around how you should view drug addiction whether mm. you look at it as a as a disease or whether it's a behavior right, or yeah. you know it was a really interesting conversation we actually split it into two parts we did it yeah quite in depth um but yeah a lot of information yeah really fascinating uh and then we, we were lucky enough to to this was also over zoom um due to the guests the guest was in hotel quarantine I yes think. that's right so that was professor john watson uh, who at the time was the executive dean of the Faculty of Health and Medical Sciences. He is no longer. Yes. Do we know what he's doing now? I believe he's gone back to Victoria. Yeah, okay. I think. Uh, he, he, I, I imagine he won't have any trouble getting another job in oh, academia. no. And no, potentially, I, I suspect he'll probably keep practising. Yeah. Uh, I didn't get a chance to, to send him a message or anything mm. before he left, but 
wherever he is. We hope he's doing well. Yeah. Uh, he was a really nice guest. We had a great chat about a couple of historical figures in, in epidemiology mm-hmm. in the UK and um, gastroenterology and what it involved and liver disease and also viruses because obviously he has dealt with uh, hepatitis over the years. So he had quite a bit to say about the structure of viruses and that sort of thing. But, yeah, really nice man. And it was was a shame that we lost him um, from the university. Yeah, he was, yeah, really great to talk to. I think that, yeah, it was such a good chat. Um, But I'm sure he's on to bigger and better things now anyway. No question. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure he'll be making a difference somewhere else now. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then... The last one I wanted to mention was one that was a bit from left field um, and it actually came about through my wife who teaches at TAFE and they did a, a session with the lady who works as a financial counsellor and it may not be completely obvious why that would fit into health but during a conversation with, with Amanda Gauss from Midlass it became apparent that a lot of the clients that she deals with probably have underlying particularly mental health issues. Mm. Some of them are, are, you know, have housing stress and um, other things. Uh, but, yeah, often caused by lifestyle issues and health issues. Which is all a part of population and public health. Yeah, social determinants of health, right? Social determinants, that's right. Um, yeah, it was, it was one... I've got many favourite chats, but that was one of my favourites, mm. talking to Amanda. Um, particularly as she'd come from a background where she was working in the corporate world, working, I think, in financial services sector um, maybe banking or something like that and decided to to take the leap and use the skills and the knowledge that she had developed over the years to try and make people a lot of money or to protect people's money um, to try and help people out of uh, you know tough situations Um, yeah and the stories that she kind of describes in that episode are just they're so fascinating and heartwarming as yeah. well yeah, it's, yeah it was yeah. really good yeah it's a really nice episode so it was great to great to chat with amanda uh and look we've had many many guests and they've all been great yeah uh, but we obviously couldn't go on about everybody of uh, course not but yeah. just have a look at the list go go I on know, to there's so many of go them. on to the podcast list. we've done so much work craig <laughs> yeah i think we just released number 35 is that right uh yeah i think it is number 35 so that was with tim Colmer. yeah that's yeah, right yeah. which was another great conversation totally yeah. left field as well but yeah. uh, and yeah. i I'd also just want to mention the first episode of this year as well which was um urban transport and public oh, yeah. health with um professor mark stevenson mm. um i think actually that was probably one of my favorite conversations because um relating to like cycling pathways and green spaces and how you build urban places to support yep. health and all that kind of stuff is just i find it very interesting um yeah i, I mean yeah. yeah you might have heard during some of the episodes i've got pretty strong views on that as well yeah <laughs> being, being a cyclist <laughs> yeah um, but yeah like i didn't that. even realize that was this year yeah that was our first episode yeah, this year I, it feels like yeah. five years ago even That's though mad. we haven't done this for five years but yeah it feels really like a long time ago yeah he was a really good guest mm. had a really good chat with him and uh, we could probably talk to him again and oh yeah talk about some other stuff and it'd be equally interesting absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. In, yeah, so we've been very lucky. I guess is the is the main takeaway. Oh, insanely, yeah. yeah. The the number and the caliber of guests that we had this year um, is just crazy, and I feel like I've learned so much. And um, they're all awesome and entertaining, and yeah, uh, yeah, it's been really good. <laughs> so I, th- I thought we might finish with uh, 
discussion of a few new concepts that were born this year yeah. uh, in light of various health issues that may or may not have been happening around mm-hmm. the world. Um, obviously, one of, you know, one, um, that's a, a thinly veiled reference to COVID-19, obviously. <laughs> uh, one of the new concepts, uh, which is, I mean, as somebody who immigrated to this country years ago and whose yeah. family is kind of spread out around the world and whose wife is from Scotland, um, is the idea of no international travel which is, this is one of the first years, I can't remember the last time I had a year where I didn't go somewhere, even if it was to Indonesia right. or across to New Zealand or, yep. or somewhere. Um, so, yeah, first time. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's a big step for you then. Yeah. Yeah. So, I want, we, obviously we don't know how long it's going to last. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, the, the no international travel has particularly influenced like I guess from my experience, um, the academics and, and research yeah. and things. Um, so the virtual like, conference has kind of been born. The virtual conferences. Yeah. I do not like virtual conferences. No. Um, I have seen a couple this year. Um, I have had to stay up till 2 a.m., 3 a.m. to yep. watch some of the American ones. Um, also, hence why I fangirled over Dr. Fauci, because I watched his presentation at 2 a.m. live because I wanted to watch it. Yep. Um, but, yeah, it also meant that I couldn't go to Texas and I mm-hmm. couldn't go to Barcelona yep. um, and I couldn't go over east. Uh, and I feel like, you know, yeah. as a PhD student, that's kind of one of the things that is a, a great thing that we can experience yes. and we weren't able to do that this year. It's definitely one of the perks. Yeah. You know, obviously, as a PhD student, you may be foregoing some remuneration to do your studies. Yeah. And what one of the perks is that you get to, you know, participate in conferences and network. And, exactly. And so, yeah, to not do that for a year, we'll see how long it lasts. But I, yeah. I believe that some national conferences are starting to go ahead here next year. I think yep. I've got one in February or March, but it's here in Perth, but people from over the eastern states will be coming. Mm, yeah, which is good. Um, fingers crossed. Yeah. You know, you know all things happens. being equal. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully things don't change between yeah. now and then. Um, yeah, and then one of the other concepts which kind of came into play uh, was the idea of work pyjamas. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> which is such a great idea. Um, I love it, but that's because I basically will live in pyjamas. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I presented at a conference the other day yeah. and – I wore a very nice shirt and then I wore my sports leggings um, and I wore my slippers and it was great. I loved it. (laughs) Yeah, I think in the winter a lot of people were doing that, wearing a a button shirt or something and then everything else was just out of bed. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Yeah, So that's interesting. We'll see if that one survives (laughs) post-pandemic. You just see people rocking up to work with just like bottom half pyjamas. That would be amazing. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and then related to that is is the idea of Zoom mm. and Zoom meetings, um, and then relate you know also Teams, which is the Microsoft yeah, version, Microsoft and Teams. there's other ones. Cisco has one. Yeah. Uh, so these were sometimes interminable for me, mm-hmm. uh, particularly you know when you had a meeting that go that went for longer than an hour, and you know it's kept could be and you, you could see if people left their video and you could see them doing other things absolutely the whole time yeah yeah <laughs> it's it's um 
a program that really allows everyone to multitask. But unfortunately, mm. multitasking really doesn't work for the majority of people. So yeah. although um, I feel like most people think they're good at multitasking, in reality what they're doing is they're flicking between two different things That's and they're right. focused on one thing for five minutes and then they're focused on the yeah. other. And unfortunately with presentations, that five minutes that you spend on something else... Yeah means you probably haven't kept up with the the presentation itself. So when you'd like tune back in, it's kind of all new stuff and you, you know what's the, happening. Yeah, and then the you're like, yeah, what's the point? Yeah. Uh, and then you continue doing the other thing. Yeah. yeah. At least that's what I found. Yeah. Um, mm. It sort of went in and out for me. So really big meetings where there was a lot of people mm-hmm. would, was more difficult to kind of yeah. stay on track with the conversation. Um, but when it was a smaller meeting where everybody was more active in the conversation, I found those went a bit better. Yeah. Yeah. Like our, our podcast episodes that we recorded, no problem. That's um, true. But I think we both felt more comfortable trying to do them in person where possible. Uh, yeah, Just connect definitely. with people. There's, yeah. there's a physical sort of connection, even though you're not physically there is. touching each you other or anything. You get to anything, like have a conversation before and afterwards and all that yeah. kind of stuff. And with Zoom, yeah. it wasn't really that available, I don't think, particularly no. with ours. Um, I also think in general... For those larger um, Zoom meetings, we haven't really figured out how to present effectively on them, on those programs. I feel like we could quite easily, um, but someone needs to figure it out. And it's not going to happen at UWA. Because I've just announced that they're not doing Zoom anymore. Oh, okay. Oh, geez, like, oh, burn on you, yeah. All right. No, so they've ceased their Zoom subscription in favour of using Teams, which they already get as part of their ah, software package. Yeah, okay. And I, I've had some Teams meetings and it's comparable and it should be yeah, fine. So, yeah, it should be fine. But yeah, it's, it's, it's all about breakout rooms and, you know, using yeah, the sharing space documents. And, yeah, yeah. So yeah. people can sort of, you know, they can all follow along in real time. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Although, yeah, it misses like the social aspect of um, meeting up with people. Yeah. I feel like there is actually a lot of potential for those kind of programs. It's just we haven't figured out how to use them properly I agree. yet. I agree. Um, and there are yeah. some people who are very good at it and have worked it out. Yeah. Yeah. You can kind of tell. We kind of need some guidelines or some principles yeah. to follow. And, but then, yeah. then there's be others who'd start sharing pictures of their cats because they've got the wrong screen on the screen yeah, share or, uh-huh. or you know, whatever like it the, might be. The most common sentence like um, said this year is, oh, you're on mute. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah, they your are. lips are moving, but there's no noise. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so and then the, the next concept was a i guess a change in the way that we view obsessive compulsive disorder or ocd mm-hmm. it's now it seems to be like a health choice <laughs> <laughs> i'm referring mostly to, to washing hands and mm. um, other hygiene practices mm-hmm. so people who may have mm-hmm. uh, previously been told that they had a problem yeah have probably been now being told to keep doing it yeah it's interesting how mental health really is a social perspective as to what's okay and what's not yeah um i uh, this was one of the things that fascinated me uh, about psychology and nothing to do with COVID or anything like that but i remember learning about hallucinations and 
that hallucinations are like a social perspective as to what's good Mm. and what's not. And, for example, in other countries, having hallucinations of God and Jesus, you become a very important person Mm -hmm. um, in that society. When people uh, maybe here in Australia would see that as a mental health disorder. Um, And, yeah, I feel like a lot of us have become quite aware of how things are spread and um, a lot of us now wash our hands quite a lot and Mm. um, have invested a lot of time and money in that with like soaps and sanitizer. Yeah, then moisturizer because you sanitize your hands so often and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's all about perspective and what's happening at the time. It is, yeah. So, yeah, it will be interesting to see how that is dealt with. Yeah. Do Do you think... Do you think that these behaviours are going to continue? I think for some people they will. Um, for some, yeah. And I feel like the DSM may have to alter the way it asks the questions about some of these behaviours when trying to diagnose someone with something like OCD. Yeah, I, well, um, I would say because OCD itself is, they normally have abnormal behavior in the definitions that's right so so that creates some subjective there is subjective yeah so so i think it's going to be down to the person asking the questions to to be prompted to clarify things a bit more because what's considered abnormal or unjustified or over the top you know yeah yeah Yeah. absolutely because behaviors that people have been engaging in over the last nine months or Mm. so you know without the, a pandemic being present would be seen as abnormal yeah yeah i think it it could be seen as abnormal. yeah i'd say in most cases it probably would yeah, yeah excessive hand washing to the point where you're you're bleeding from the fingernails and that sort of stuff which i've seen people do yeah um, see i would still say that's abnormal i think if someone's doing that even yeah for covid but then people are going to their gps and saying look i'm washing my hands in line with the guidelines and i'm my hands are now yeah. cracked and bleeding mm-hmm. and the doctor's saying you might consider keep doing that but you might consider using moisturizer or doing yeah, this or doing that yeah. and so yeah i feel like it's complicated it things. is uh, yeah i think it is complicated i feel if yeah if it's getting in the way um of a daily living mm. um if there's more than just one thing you're doing so like I, like people with ocd it's not just hand washing no there's obviously other there's behaviors. lots of other things that are going on yeah. there's a, a mental perspective it, as it well. would actually be interesting to see if there's been any research done on what the ocd behaviors are where people mm. have been diagnosed with ocd to see what percentage of it is hand washing or hygiene yeah compared to like turning on and lights lights on and off and yeah so i like yeah. i know a little bit um about it and i think like my uh, don't quote me on this I, i'm not 100 percent sure but um i do believe that there is like a portion where a hygiene is incredibly important and that becomes a lot of their main symptoms um and how they kind of express those those mental patterns mental thought patterns but what also happens is they go through all of these hygienes and they have to wash their hands multiple times. And in order to stop that, they actually become very unhygienic. So a lot of people with OCD end up not being very clean because once they start the process, then they have to complete it. So a lot of them just 
don't start. Okay. And then they don't shower for weeks on end and they don't do that because it just takes such a long time. Yeah, okay. Um, so, it, yeah, it's fascinating. Mm. I think, yeah, a lot of mm. this behaviour could be considered um, a, a potential part of OCD, but I think yeah. it's a lot more complicated than yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. It so is fascinating, though. Kind of somewhat related to that as well is the decreasing accept social acceptability of <sighs> sneezing. Have you so, been on like a bus or anything? Pub, in pub, and just, sneezing in public. Yeah, yeah, sneezing in public or coughing in public and you're like yeah. trying not to cough. You're like, I know everyone's going to just like <laughs> stare at me. And I'm like, <coughs> just they're all going to diagnose me and, <laughs> yeah. and you're, you're coughing into your elbow and you know, all that sort of stuff. Uh, um, yeah. 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 So that's been uh, almost an overnight, overnight the stigmatism. It, yeah. Or stigmatization of that behavior has happened almost overnight. But the good thing about it is I feel like more people are staying at home when they're sick, mm-hmm. which is really what we should have been doing. Yeah. And a lot I know a lot of people that come to work and they're like, "Oh, I've got a cold, but I've got all these things to do, so I'm just going to come into work and and do it and it'll be fine." Yeah. And then over this year more people are staying at home when they're sick, which is so good. And yeah. I, yeah, if you look at the trends and stuff, like all of the flus and the colds are significantly decreased this yeah. year. Um, it is mainly just COVID. You wonder so. if it's because, you know, the implications of COVID are so serious in for some people, you know, that the, the potential will die from it. Whereas we may, may have in the past taken the view that a common cold, it's not that bad if, you know, if, yeah. I, if I feel physically up to working even though i'm sneezing and coughing if i pass that on to a colleague it's, it's probably not, not going to be the end of the much. world and yeah whereas we probably shouldn't be thinking like that no because it could then be passed on to someone else mm. who then you know has multiple comorbidities and yeah. then could actually die from that because people do die from the flu from and the flu the cold. yeah definitely. um pneumonia is right. a clear example of that um and it's yeah. something that i'm looking at in my research is like that's something that is very clearly preventable mm. yet so many people with heart failure end up with it because their yeah. their immune systems down and all that. That's right. And you know, it's something that we could prevent. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, we'll see how whether whether sneezing Oof. reduces in in the population, <laughs> whether people try and hold it in and yeah. or, or uh, silent yeah. the silent sneezing. Oh yeah, you like hold your nose and yeah. I always feel like yeah. like my ears are gonna pop or something's gonna come out of my face when I do that. Um, but yeah. Yeah, and then, and then another one. Uh, is the alternative to the handshake. So I, I'll share the ones that I'm aware of. So mm-hmm. the, the elbow bump. Yep, elbow bump. Yep. Um, the foot tap, so yep. you tap feet. I'm trying to think of – I think those might be the only two I've seen. I think they're the main ones. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, I have seen, you know, there is just like uh, the there's, wave hello at a distance. And yeah, there's, there's the awkward – There's also like the awkward like, uh, oh, yeah, ah, half, what do I do? The half handshake <laughs> approach. Yeah. And then You're the like, sort of oh, recoil. No, can't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, and it mm. really depends on who you – who you see some yep. people are openly shaking hands others are mm-hmm. sort of you know some people are still giving you big hugs yeah yeah all right yeah, fair enough <laughs> why not that's it um and then obviously i think to finish on um we could maybe just comment a little bit on the attitudes to isolation and mm. self-isolating and all this sort of stuff that's happened around the world yeah so different countries and now, now these are all sort of developed countries i haven't gone into developing countries because i don't think there's enough information out there um, i agree reported about what's going on there you know in africa and and yeah. india and whatnot uh, just the information hasn't been passed on to yeah 
developed countries. I think yeah. there's probably some some local stuff and that we're not aware of, but yeah, yeah, it just hasn't, you know, the news, it's biased. It'll give us stuff from developed countries. That's so, it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, obviously Australia and New Zealand, we've been pretty We've good. done great. Yeah. So people yeah. have complied with the directions for the so most good. part. Like the occasional um, breach has been magnified in the media. Yeah. So yeah. people even have been sent to jail. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, for breaching quarantine regulations or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I think everyone's kind of, at the early stages, everyone in Australia and New Zealand, we went like the harshest route yeah. right and that really benefited us now yeah um there's a potential problem in that once things start opening west australians at least don't really know how to quarantine properly no yeah we've been yeah, put in bubble wrap basically that's right um, yeah so we still don't really know how to deal with that yeah um as a population i guess so I mean, it's like, been great. Yeah. Also. I think our advantage is that we're not a big population. Yeah. So even though it might be a steep learning curve, if we did have to adapt, I feel mm -hmm. like enough of society would be able to do it. Whereas some of these bigger cities with sort of 6 million plus exactly. people, mm -hmm. yep. they probably struggle a bit more. And we saw that in, in parts of Sydney and Melbourne in, in certain um, yeah. ethnic communities where they're used to having big family gatherings mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. you know it's, that was a huge adjustment for them yeah um, but they all they all managed and yeah. they all, you know to their credit um the uk and europe hmm. arguably the places that have had the most benefit from history mm -hmm. because they've been through this before as mm -hmm. societies um were very compliant at different stages until the sun came out yeah and then they wanted to all go down Pretty to the same much. beach at the same time of course yeah, you just can't help it right <laughs> no. it's just too enticing and they were seeing record numbers of yeah. infections and deaths over christmas and you know christmas lockdowns and all this sort of stuff yep. and unfortunately like we were saying there the populations are so dense and quite large in these in these centers particularly in the big cities they really can't police everyone it's all about no. people towing the line and mm. buying into it and if they don't you can arrest the odd person but you, know, you don't have the resources everyone. to arrest everyone so yeah. yeah so obviously the vaccination is going to be crucial there absolutely um, that's probably their end game really they're i only really game. feel for italy mm -hmm. um because italy has one of the best health centers in the world yeah, like they yeah. yeah so they they the health technology that they've got and all yep. of the insurance and things is yeah and one it's all of the publicly best available to, it's, to, yeah. to people yeah exactly um and obviously as i think we all know they were hit first and worst yeah um and then they've been hit again mm -hmm. uh and the, i think the issue that i kind of see with that is Yes, they have the best health in the world. It's going to be interesting to see whether other countries that are maybe lacking in some health areas go, I'll see, but if we improve it, we're just going to be like Italy. Right. Um, uh, it's going to be an interesting future with that as an argument. Yeah. And I think that's that highlights that this is not an issue about health systems. It's an issue about public health and exactly. health responses. Yes. And, the health, and responsibility as a population yeah. and, and also the health messaging. Structure. The yeah. health messaging. And the health system itself in Italy is is strong and well mm. funded and, and, you know, well set up. 
but it's no system even the best systems can handle you know a pandemic where yeah it's just spreading um, uncontrolled and we don't know what it is and we don't know any treatments or prevention and so it really is about the the risk mitigation strategies and we actually have an expert on the podcast next year Mm. who talks about managing risk in public health um we're really excited to bring that episode yeah um and it's that those philosophies underpin how you have to deal with the pandemic and in australia and new zealand for example uh, took all the messaging from people like dr anthony fauci and and implemented it yeah you know uh physical distancing um you know self-isolating covering places where um you know saliva and stuff might Mm, mm -hmm. transmit the virus we adopted those pretty quickly and we've seen what's happened and the other countries that have had the benefit of that knowledge for longer than we have it just seems to have um backfired so interesting yeah Yeah. so that i think the learnings from this is going to be coming for years to come unfortunately i feel like in other countries it's um the fault of people our age it's not necessarily the older yeah. generation it people is who really think that they're our age. it's Ugh. they're personally not at risk so yeah. well, they're at a reduced risk so yeah or like oh the symptoms won't affect me that much it doesn't really matter if yeah. i get it it's like no yes it does you're and, not thinking about anyone else and i think that segues nicely into the last country which is the usa <laughs> because they're very big on personal f- thinking about themselves <laughs> <laughs> well they're very big on personal freedoms and personal liberty that's right and, uh, the, <laughs> there was a a phrase or a word that I heard used, which was libtard. Yeah. Which they uh-huh. used, they threw that at people who were wearing masks yeah. in, in some of the more conservative states. So you're a libtard if you wear a mask because you're suppressing our freedom and our liberty. Yeah, which is so funny because freedom is really about your choice. Yeah. So they're attacking people that have made a Making choice. choice. <laughs> yeah. And, and a choice that could be construed as trying to protect other people's That's freedom right. and liberty by not making them sick yeah you know exactly. by not passing viruses on to other people yeah but i so, think the very definition of freedom is different in the u.s compared to what we know yeah. like in reality like i guess my opinion i was having this conversation with someone else actually mm-hmm. um i Technically, I don't think by the very definition of freedom, anyone in Australia is free. Mm-hmm. Um, like, w- we've got certain things that we can do, and but really, we can't do anything. No. Um, and I think the US definition is really more towards that, where you should be able to do anything and everything that you want to do, no matter what the consequences are. Yep. Um, Which is, uh, it's uh, an interesting concept, but it's not reality. Yeah. Because there's always restrictions on our freedoms. Exactly. Always. Yeah. And I it has to be necessarily. Of course. That's how society works. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I think a lot of the US perspectives kind of put freedom. They don't realise that there's all of these structures around society um, generally. You know, this is stereotypically not everyone in the US, obviously. Yeah. Um, uh, Their freedom doesn't include the rules that they're okay with like yeah yeah there's rules that they respect obviously yeah but as soon as someone's kind of like oh this rule is meaning that you can't do what you want yeah it's like all right i'm gonna do something about this now that's right yeah and there's so many other health examples um i know that like vitamins 
in the US, uh, I was reading a very interesting article about vitamins in the US and how it became a non-food item mm-hmm. um, because there was all these rules about what makes food food. Right. And there was someone in the vitamins um, like kind industry. of scheme industry yeah. that was like, we can make this not a food and we're going to tell everyone in the population that um, – you're taking away, like the government is taking away your freedom by not allowing this product to be there. Right. And, oh, it's so, it's so fascinating. Yeah. And, yeah, and those vitamins generally are found to have minimal, if, if any, health benefits. Yeah. And they're marketed as exactly. supplementing oh, your health and whatever. So interesting. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's an interesting place. Um, yeah, you often economic considerations are given precedence over, over everything else. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the irony of that with this pandemic is that the economic fallout of not managing the health side of it is going to be far worse than it would have been if they had you know foregone some short-term economic gains at at the expense of trying to um, protect people but yeah yeah look obviously anyone in the u.s who's listening we feel (laughs) sorry we feel well we feel for you Um, yeah um i also think we should probably say like this is our perspective yeah uh you know other people are going to have different perspectives. Of course. And people in the US are going to have a different perspective about and us because, you know, they may think that, you know, we're just giving up a lot by doing yeah. this and there's no real point. And um, possibly, and then, you know, yeah. they might be able to def- defend that argument. Yeah. Um, but I think at the same time, it's, yeah, it'd be good if that conversation did happen. And oh, then, yeah, it'd be so good. And if we could deal in facts rather than fiction. Yeah. Because I think that's where a lot of this falls down is when people start inventing their own facts about things yeah yeah which goes back to the um misinformation uh episode with uh, doug McFarlane. McFarlane. (laughs) (laughs) that's right yeah yeah Yeah, but i feel like we've we've exhausted the uh the covid chat yeah it's been a good year uh thanks (laughs) thanks very much for all your time and effort this year courtney thank you craig yeah it's been so good (laughs) yeah Um, yeah i've loved every minute of it really and we've got a we'll have a, a pretty major announcement in the context of our podcast yeah. um, early in the new year, hopefully. Oh, it's going to be so good if it happens. Yeah. We'll see if yeah. it happens. We don't know yet. So we're but. working on something. Um, so, yeah, we're hoping to be able to bring that and talk about it uh, next year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, sounds good. But apart from that, all, all that is left to do is to wish everyone a happy Christmas and holiday period. And new year and all yep. that jazz. And we'll look forward to speaking to you in 2021. Sounds good. See you then. The Meaning of Health podcast is produced with the support of the School of Population and Global Health and the Education Enhancement Unit at the University of Western Australia. The podcast is produced by Craig Cumming and Courtney Webber with music by Craig Cumming. Craig Cumming.